Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. Hello, my name is Natalie Koroiwa Lewis, and I'm half French Canadian. I'm also a poet, professor, avid traveler, and have recently taken up the acoustic guitar. I've lived in Quebec, the Czech Republic, and Japan, and have a passion for language and poetry and all things of the arts. These days now, I live in Olympia, Washington with my family and teach writing and literature classes at a small liberal arts Benedictine university and serve on the board of the Olympia Poetry Network. I also enjoy songwriting and working with my other creative writing genres, such as the play or short story. My latest poems can be found in periodicals such as Cirque, The Madrona Project, The Wild Word, to name just a few. My poem, St. Matthew's Rectus Femoris, which I'll be sharing with you today, is inspired by an early version of an altarpiece painting from the 16th century Italian artist Caravaggio. This painting, titled St. Matthew and the Angel, is the one that depicts a gritty, muscular St. Matthew in the throes of writing the Gospels with quill to paper. Standing next to him is a playful depiction of an angel who guides his hand with hers, almost like an embrace. What struck me about this painting when I first encountered it was its intimacy and its sense of innocence and awe. I was deeply touched, too, when I read Helen Langdon's book Caravaggio, A Life, referencing Baglioni and Bellori's account of how this particular painting was immediately received with disdain, deemed inappropriate for the public. This, Bellori describes, brought great distress to Caravaggio. Here is the poem. St. Matthew's Rectus Famoris. After the men had condemned Caravaggio's picture of St. Matthew with the poofy-haired angel, I wish I could have been there to smoothen the creases beneath the eyes, to tell Caravaggio to not despair, to have confidence in his wares, that for all intents purposes he had gotten it right, drawing the extensor digitorum, rectus femoris, and gastrocnemius at just the right plush and brawn, composing the toe like a fleshy dart, showing off the pulsing underside of the foot. For Matthew's physique needed the tightness it did to do the kind of lift and pull and trekking required of the gods. And about that dangling angel, I wish I could have told him, too, that St. Matthew's needed the warmth of the body, the soft and full of zesty closeness that chances once in a millennium, like an endless flow of robe made of galactic lights and gold, the vibrations required before the hunching over and tearing of tendon from muscle and breaking of bone on bone that comes when the work commences.
My name is David Holper. I've done a little bit of everything. Taxi driver, fisherman, dishwasher, bus driver, soldier, house painter, bike mechanic, bike courier, and teacher. I have published a number of stories and poems, including two collections of poetry, The Bridge with Sequoia Song Publications, and 64 Questions with March Street Press, as well as a recently accepted chapbook, Tuluat Island and Other Poems with Finishing Line Press. My poems have appeared in numerous literary journals and anthologies, and I have recently won several poetry competitions in spite of my contention that I never win anything. I am faculty emeritus from College of the Redwoods and live in Eureka, California, far enough from the madness of civilization that I can still see the stars at night and hear the Canada geese calling. I served as the city of Eureka's first poet laureate from August 2019 through August 2021. This poem, Aubergine, was inspired by cooking a couple of summers ago with several aubergines and wanting to learn more about them. That inquiry unexpectedly gave rise to this poem. Aubergine. You can tell its ripeness by the deep, lush purple of the skin, the tight, taut feel it has, so you can depress a finger into its flesh and they will answer by welling into your fingerprint. They are clan of the nightshade family, their darker cousins. My father used to cook them up into baklajana ikra, poor man's caviar, and we feasted knowing no better of the real thing how light they are in hand after they turn, much like the dead after their spirits have fled. My father's body, only ash in the urn I held in my hand. The boat paused just near Sausalito, and I gazed out over the waters. How I had hated him, how I had loved him despite his anger, his scalding wit, how he loved to laugh at people to show them how little he thought of their pretenses. If he drank, be prepared, we'd say. If he smoked, it seemed he'd set the house on fire. The urn in my hand felt round and black as some bitter aubergine. Are there any words to forgive such things? I leaned out and poured those bits of bone and ash upon the waters, speechless, yes, but trying my damnedest to empty him out of me forever. My name is Connor L. Simons, and I am a queer poet, essayist, and translator based in the Twin Cities. I received my MFA in creative writing from the University of Minnesota, where I worked as poetry editor for the Great River Review. My translations have been featured by the Minnesota Somali Poets Corner and the Havana International Poetry Festival. My work has most recently appeared in the LA Review and Breakwater Review and is forthcoming in the Brooklyn Review. When I am not trying to convince my dog to leave the cats alone, I work as a grant writer for a nonprofit in St. Paul, Minnesota. This poem is entitled The Ecstasy of St. Cecilia, and it's an ekphrastic piece that I wrote uh, as a response to two things. First, the ekphrasis is 
I never know whether to call it a response or inspired by, but it's an ekphrasis that meditates on Raphael's 1514 painting, The Ecstasy of St. Cecilia, and using some of the imagery from that as a jumping point, I try to parse through some of the scenes that occurred when I saw my mother's last days on the hospice bed. The Ecstasy of St. Cecilia, Raphael, 1514, oil transferred from panel to canvas. One, at a makeshift altar in a living room, enmeshed in afternoon Alaska light, a tinny plastic speaker is playing, oh, what a friend I have in Jesus. Country twang, steel guitar, rumbled snare drum. We attendants sing along, we, her choir, sing along. Cats curve themselves between plastic catheter tubes. The pastor trips over a pile of paperbacks. Someone drops a beer can into an almost full recycling bin. My mother is wearing a red wedding dress. Her eyes roll upward. Her ears are stuffed with the silence of dying. Two. In a past body, I sit with my back leaning against my mother's knees. She reclines on the dog's drool-stained brown couch. Her hair is still the color of sunset's end. Her lanky fingers in my hair, stopping at old childhood scars, comments on where the knotted flesh had its origin. Slotted in the decade-old CD player, a scratched copy of the Beatles' greatest hits, Either one of us could list the tracks without missing a song. How many times did she sing through the whole disc? How many times did she tell me about the first time she heard Hey Jude? How many times did I hum the guitar part while she took the melody, modulating her notes up a third, straining her throat, her chin tilted up, as if her song was for the audience she never had? as if the ragged carpet of the apartment, the glass door smudged with fingerprints, the way material life reflects disappointment could all melt away when she closed her eyes and sang. How many times did this singer of my life sing not knowing I was there, at her feet, bound by love to listen? Three. The afternoon resounds with mumble. Color is amplified. Blue can have so many blues. The sky is a series of divisions. Human sky, angel sky, paradisic light dribbled down to the most common of rituals, a wedding. Everyone brought their best fabric. Some are in thought, chin in hand, some chatting of whatever it is saints discuss of what the bride could be thinking when her eyes lock on to the rip in the firmament. She sings her song alone. Human words are left for human activities, human melody, pentatonic scales in flight, finger on taut string, lip to metal mouthpiece, clank of tambourine, wind pushed through brass or wood or throat, all is strewn, abandoned on the ground. Her eyes are closing, her ears are stuffed with the hymnal blare of personal hosannas for the God she accepts as the coming music of death.
My name is Norma DeCrema, and I'm excited to be recording uh, my ekphrastic poem, Open Sesame, for this Viewless Wings podcast. I am a high school teacher at a private girls' school in Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia. I just finished getting my MFA through Arcadia University, and I've published about 20 or so individual poems at journals, uh, journals like Redfern Review, Night Heron Barks, Ovunque Siamo, Common Ground Review, The Lyric, those are, those are some of them. Uh, I don't have a book-length collection out there yet, at least, at least not today. Um, I wrote Open Sesame while I was looking at some modern art representations inspired by classical Arabic poetry. In the past, like uh, late 19th, early 20th century, Arabic lit was uh, often accompanied by very stylized European types of illustration. But it's fun for me to see what modern artists make of some of those old poems that were originally in Arabic. Um, Ali Baba's Cavern by the French-American painter Natalie Grabinski is a neat sort of random painting inspired by the old tale of Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves, which is one of the stories from Alflila Walela, or A Thousand and One Nights. The story itself has, you might remember, it has a lot of juicy, memorable moments in it. Some of them are pretty dark and ghastly. When I was a kid in Baltimore, there was even a, a kind of carnival ride we could go on at Enchanted Forest, where they tried to capture the gloomy cave and the creepy thieves, the scariness. But Grabinski's painting is incredible to me because it's, it's joyous. It's festive, colorful, fun. It was a surprise to see it. So I wrote the poem, Open Sesame, basically to capture those memories, uh, various art inspired by the story, and especially Grabinski's painting. So here's the poem, Open Sesame. In Ali Baba's cave at Enchanted Forest when I was eight, we rode in boats, lurching in the dark, jostling strangers, sniffing hungrily at the mystery, like the moral of that old story no one could ever find. Maybe it was mostly mildew we smelled on the slimy bottom of our boat, rounding the turns through a shadowy sequence of turbaned mannequins, props and placards, a dumbed-down tale unfolding in the darkness. We rode it over and over, though absent was dismembered Kasim, immortalized in my illustrated Alibaba Golden Book, his bloody stumps weeping on the cavern floor, the brutal cost of blanking on the charm of the sesame, how the ripened pod will burst apart, shattering, scattering its seeds. And absent was Morgiana, blithe bearer of the boiling oil, poured into narrow earthenware jugs, where forty thieves, improbably flexible, marinate in the courtyard. But what has any of that to do with Grabinski's cavern, her colors and shapes and patterns in profusion, like a deconstructed nursery chest of toys, all richness and possibility, through an open door, our first glimpse of the treasure, sparkling in the sunlight streaming in, more than enough pieces for a thousand happy endings. My name is Linda Dratel. I am an author, poet, and advocate for the deaf and hard of hearing, residing in Northern California. My poetry has appeared in both online publications and anthologies, including Prompt for the Press, Viewless Wings, Las Positas College's Havoc Anthology, and in several Wingless Dreamers anthologies. Field of Black Roses, Vanish in Poetry, Ink the Universe, and the upcoming Summer Fireflies. This poem, Paddington Park, will be featured in my collection of poetry, Remember This Day, 
which is scheduled to be published with Finishing Line Press in August 2023. I'm an avid long-distance runner. I own a 34-year-old horse and three goats. I serve on the boards of both the California Communications Access Foundation and the California Writers Club Tri-Valley Writers Branch. You can reach me on Twitter and LinkedIn through my handle at Linda Dratel. I also invite you to visit my author website, www.lindadratel.com. My motivation for writing Paddington Park came from when I lived in London for a short period of time with my husband. I am deafened and have a hearing dog and his favorite place to walk was in Paddington Park. One day, I noticed a gentleman who had passed away while sitting on one of the park benches. He was wearing a business suit and appeared at first to simply be resting. Two police officers also spotted him, and one went over to sit by his side until help could come to move him. It was a very sad thing to witness and I was impressed with the police officer who had chosen to sit quietly next to the man as if he were his friend. The poem Paddington Park. We lived for a time in London's Marleybin neighborhood on Chiltern Street, a stone's throw from Paddington Park. It rains most of the time in London, regardless of the time of year. My husband says this is what he loves most about London. You appreciate the sun when the sun does come out. Our dog loved our walks through Paddington Park, probably because of the other dogs he'd meet. A variety of roses grow robustly there, probably, because of the incessant rain and the city's tending. Benches are dedicated to people who have passed away who once declared this to be their beloved park, probably because they took refuge there from rushing to work, rushing home. On one of our strolls through the park, I noticed a heavy-set man slumped on one of the benches, his eyes closed, his body rumpled beneath a press shirt. I thought he was sleeping. Perhaps he had grown tired from walking. Then I realized he had died. Two police officers arriving at the same conclusion tried to waken him. One left to seek help. The other sat next to the man as if they were friends. Solidarity through gentle touching, shoulder to shoulder. A macabre camaraderie, the deceased unaware of the living presence. How lonely the man must have been when he chose to sit on that bench. I looked away and continued past the rose bushes and other benches, past the children's play area, exited the park, strolled along Marleybin High Street and stopped by a cafe, drank a cup of hot tea at an outside table. My dog patiently curled by my feet thought of the man on the bench, how lonely death is, no matter the setting. Almost an hour later, I circled back through the park 
and noticed the same police officer still seated by the dead man, eyeing the park entrance for his partner to return. We both nodded, sucked our lips into a half-pout, as if we'd worked with the same miserable boss. No idea when help would arrive. How lonely death is, no matter the weather. The weather. The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.